Welcome to the latest episode of the Charter School Investor Podcast, where we explore the question, what does charter school leadership look like? Each month, we meet with leaders in the charter school sector to better understand how they land the plane while it's still being built. My name's Alan Wallstetter, and I'm CEO and founder of the School Improvement Partnership focuses on data transparency and accountability in the charter school sector through the School Improvement Partnership database and by reporting on $1.5 billion of charter school bonds. I'm very pleased today to have two guests to talk about startup charter school financing and starting up charter schools. Kevin Dobson is the founder and director of Capital College and Career Academy, a new charter school in Sacramento which opened just last month. Rob Nickel also joins us. He's executive vice president at Herbert J. Sims, who worked closely with Kevin really over the last two years to provide long-term financing for this school. In this episode, Kevin and Rob do a deep dive into the story of founding, of financing, and launching a start startup charter school without any confirmed students and in a building simply under contract. This episode touches on the qualities of a successful startup charter school, how investors evaluate it when there are no students, and the general market trend towards startup financing, the role, in this case, that community support played in the startup charter school, and much, much more. Before we start, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Herbert J. Sims. From single-site charter schools to CMOs, from startups to expansions, Herbert J. Sims delivers innovative and flexible capital solutions that meet their clients' evolving needs through their financed right approach. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Kevin Dobson and Rob Nipple. just jump right into leadership, Kevin, if that's okay. And this is just, as I read through your background, it, it was clear that this was not a straight line to, to where you are at all. I know you, you started, it looked like, at an inner city high school in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yep. And how did that prepare you to open a charter school? Yeah, I think that's where I really found my passion for education. I, I was, when I went to college, I loved history. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to play college sports, play football in college, and was also fortunate enough to do a dissertation while I was doing my undergraduate. And that was really looking at the abolitionist movement in Springfield, Massachusetts, which if you go there today, it's a shell of its former self compared to what it was in the 1800s. And I was just signed up for because I had two options. I was either going to be a lawyer or a teacher. So I signed up for the teacher credentialing program. It was supposed to just do a job shadow of a high school and had the opportunity. The teacher had heard what I was doing for my research and said, hey, why don't you teach a class? And that kind of changed everything. I kicked off my trajectory into education. Just a, a quick story. I was observing the class and noticed that this one student in particular, still very vividly remember him. He was the last kid into class and put his head down, went up, never engaged. I'm like, hey, what's up with that student? Well, he just got out of juvenile hall and we're just glad he's coming to class. I'm like, oh, okay. 
So then when I did my first ever lesson plan, I think it, there's some seeds of what Capital College Career Academy are today in that first lesson plan, but it's how do we make learning relevant? And so I pulled up a Google map of downtown Springfield and said, all right, you guys have been learning about these famous abolitionists and people that kicked off the Civil War. Well, here's the church that was the center of the Black community in Springfield, Massachusetts. John Brown left his Bible before he went to Harper's Ferry. Frederick Douglass has given speeches there. And that kid that was so disengaged suddenly perks up at the edge of his seat, hand in the air. Oh, but that's around the corner. My grandma works the door. My aunt does this. And I just said, what an amazing feeling to be able to really have a tangible impact on the lives of young people every day. And I think in my teaching career and as an administrator, I've always sought ways to make learning relevant and connect to young people and really allow them to bring their lived experiences into the classroom. Interesting. So at one level, leadership is really finding a different way to just like perhaps teaching a little bit to, to grab them. Yeah. I think leadership a lot, as I'm sure we'll probably talk about more on this call, but a big piece of leadership is simply empathy and being able to empathize with a range of people. And I would argue that is a critical skill in education, whether you're a teacher or a leader, even parents, we're all in this together and being able to really get at, at the root of whatever that person's bringing with them that day, that's leadership. How do you take them from point A to point B as a team? That's a, that's, and Rob, I wanted to ask you about this because empathy is beautiful and yet to get a startup charter school, how many students they got? That's a good question. They don't have any yet, but they're gonna. It's, it, you gotta you find them where they are, but then you have to take them somewhere. So when you, can you recall when you first met Kevin and what struck you that he might be able to pull this off? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that, Alan. I think one thing that's before even that meeting that had been part of the background of our team and our work across those what we call really schools of choice landscape nationally, which is our passion and our dedication as a team and has been prior to my work, even here at Herbert J. Sims was working with schools of all types. And we started to realize there was this need for schools to do something other than maybe the, what the available paths at the time had been when it came to startups in terms of a developer financing or other types, maybe more expensive paths that can lead to tougher facility maintenance and burden of cost down the road. And so we started seeing the market evolve really as it related to investors and appetite for charter school credits. And the, probably over the last 10 years, I'd say it really, that evolution began. We, we identified a couple of unique individual investors that were willing to maybe dig in and understand schools at that level and really see that they could take that one step further in risk in terms of a new school. And I think our team was one of the first to actually come out and do a true cure startup out of the ground with bonds. And it was an innovative thing at the time. It's very rare. And as that happened, it led to more. And then as that, as more happened, more investors like the one we worked with there in the beginning, which I believe was Greenwich, started to take notice too and think, hey, I could take that kind of risk, maybe understand it too. And so we started to see the investor base broaden. And so doing that over time and working with multiple schools, doing a startup. And then even schools that are not new, that have a track record, I think you begin to see patterns of what makes a school successful. And each school's different. Each school's unique. It's one of the beautiful things about schools of choice is the variety, the myriad of you know, mosaic out there. One of the key ingredients though, is a qualitative one and it's leadership. It's definitely understanding who the leaders are, the management team. And 
And we've gotten that wrong before. There, if a school has a bad management team or just not the right leader, and, and there's some deficiencies there, it can be problematic. And we've seen schools stumble and even fail because of that. And we've not been perfect in our track record of, of evaluating that per se, because there are metrics you can point to that are data-driven, that are the same as enrollment and finances and all the things we do look at that are important for banking. So meeting Kevin, it was apparent right off the bat, getting to that, that he was really innovative leader. I was very impressed by Kevin. One, just his exuberance, his tenacity, this somebody who was really firing on all cylinders. He was just like blowing me away with his amount of effort and work and planning and thought process that had gone into the school. I was introduced to him. You asked when, I think it was towards the end of 2021, somewhere in there, maybe fall, but it, and then it was what then traveled over into my time at Sims when we really kicked off the planning phase of doing a financing was more like first quarter of 22. And it was a full year later when we finished it. But Kevin from day one was prepared and he had a really good charter petition. That was something we reviewed. Obviously part of our diligence and I could tell the program was going to be really innovative in addition to being what appeared to be a really strong leader in Kevin. I could tell that the program he wanted to do, one, he was passionate about it. Like you said, about empathy and passion, those things that are important characteristics, but also like he had clearly identified a need in an area that we knew from working with schools all over the country is a need that is, is apparent everywhere in terms of job readiness. And, and we just felt like this was a unique model that was going to be something that would be good for the market. And actually probably there's more of it out there that would be needed and not a lot out there doing this. It felt like this was something that was going to be successful and people would be excited about it. Kevin, I know uh, Rob mentioned a lot of qualities of, that they look for in a charter school leader. It felt for your school, Kevin, the relationship with the community and other stakeholders was really important in getting this going, or did I miss that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in disbelief with the people that are involved, the board of directors. I remember Young Mini and Core came out to do our Brown Act training. This was prior to opening, and the comment was made by there is more political capital in this room than probably any other school in Northern California. And you guys aren't even open. We have presidents of multi-million dollar companies. We have the head of, of the local building trades. We have Northern California Carpenters Apprenticeship, the largest union apprenticeships that their Northern California director, just some really unbelievable folks. And I will say that we needed every ounce of that political capital to get us to where we're at. How did you create the environment. It's one thing to have a room full of people thinking, oh, this is great. We certainly could use more people in technical as well as other areas. But how did, what was that dance like to provide a way that you didn't lose what you're trying to create here as you deal with all these different stakeholders? Yeah, I think it's just sticking to, to your mission and really being clear on your purpose. We talked about leadership a little bit already. That's another key driver is to have a really clear vision and continue to point back to that as you're moving things forward. And I think there's times in leadership that you've got to believe it more than anybody and and just kind of emphasize, emphasize every step along the way of why we're doing this and the larger purpose. Yeah. Rob, we're talking a little bit about it. Many investment bankers in your sector with respect to charter schools, they generally say to people like Kevin and in his spot, boy, that is terrific what you're doing. Call me when you have your first charter renewal, which is usually five years out and they've got a full school. 
what were some key elements that Kevin put in place, gave you and your investor confidence to obtain a 30-year bond financing for this school that was a new school? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. I think it's interesting because the market, like I said, has evolved quite a bit. And I think that used to be the standard line, probably a little further back and still is a common theme if you're talking to like banks who still don't really totally lend into charter schools around the country. It's still something that's not ever been able to be fit into that commercial banking model or box, even within nonprofit banking groups. I think there has been some obviously that do it, but I think typically have that more traditional approach and they would definitely want to see that charter renewal still. I think as investors tend to generally take more risk, that was something that once educated on it, we knew that schools could get to the markets earlier than that. Usually we'd like to see more like operating history than necessarily the renewal. So maybe the standard practice had been two years or three years of operating history, maybe some audits. Then we talk about going to the market. And as we continue to see that market evolve and saw investors start to come in and take more and more risk and be willing to take risk on startups, then it became just a question of, again, evaluating the school leadership, evaluating the plan, looking at projections. We are very much in the investment world, more of a pro forma based model where people are taking that future look and relying on that without the history that they would normally have. So they're willing to do that, but you really got to build that story and show the evidence of why that makes sense. One of the things that's really important for a startup school, and I think Kevin had done this homework, is anything and everything you can do around marketability, feasibility, proving out the demand for a particular market, because at the end of the day, that's the number one thing we're going to be relying on for a startup financing is the projection. So you really have to couple that enrollment projection with some data and some analytics around the area the market, what's going on in that market, where are the houses, what's being developed, where, how many, what's the population of student age children, high school age in this case, right? We have a very niche school. So in some sense, that's also further limiting the school's enrollment because it's just high school students, but all those and things only ninth grade. <laughs> and only ninth grade Even start. So. Yeah, no, it's a slow start in some ways, right? Kind of a methodical year over year build. So I think the mission was important too, right? So we had to make sure right. we could tell that story. And that's one of our jobs as investment bankers. And also one of the things I like the most about what we do is that we get to tell schools stories and every story is unique. Every story is different. And you, as you begin to believe it, as much as the leader does, you can convey that and find an investor who can start to believe it. And, it, and each deal is unique and it's not the same investor for every deal, but you find that you strike that chord of where somebody really resonates with them on the mission, on the vet vision, and then ultimately also making sure we can justify the pro forma, the projections, the enrollment expectations. So setting expectations is important. And then hopefully we meet those expectations as we get through each year and milestone post opening. But, and I wanted to just jump in from the school side of things, you're trying to recruit students and to have a school with a fully built out campus helps that recruitment. So oftentimes in a startup, it's a kind of a catch 22, because if you're opening up in a strip mall or behind a church and affordable, it becomes harder to attract students. So it's a, but then the question is, how do you pay for this? And with our model would also, Definitely. I would say further limiting was we have a unique program that's really focused on hands-on learning. And there is a mechanism in California, Prop 39, where we could get space from the district 
But as a countywide charter, there was really no school district space that could truly fulfill, allow us to fulfill our mission. So that was a concern as well. Yeah, I think that's actually very interesting. And there's analogies on that in New York and even Philadelphia, where, you know, there's an opportunity for the district space, the old space. And in Philadelphia, they're finding it's loaded with asbestos. And they've been to close some of the schools. So that's the space yeah. they gave them. So yeah. You don't always get the best space when it's being given to you normally. Kevin makes a great point there. That balance of how do you build a school that you can afford when you're new and you're going to have to grow to afford it, but also how do you grow without the building to like market it and get that? Because that's such a big part of your culture and your ultimately your environment. I think Kevin's the educator here, not me, but I think many have told me that so much of educating kids and keeping them engaged and doing the things Kevin did as a teacher is also formed around the environment they're in. If the learning environment is difficult, it doesn't mean it can't be done. We've seen some brilliant success stories out there that'll make you tear up and cry and just amazing inspirational type stories in schools that don't have the best environment still succeed and still have great results. But I think having that environment just sets the stage for learning and helps those students be engaged. To Kevin's point, if you do have that building out of the gate, it is a marketing tool. Absolutely. As well as a learning, fundamental learning well, foundational yeah. tool. I want to take a quick break and just thank the Charter School Investor Podcast sponsor, Herbert J. Sims. From single site charter schools to CMOs, from expansions to startups, Herbert J. Sims delivers innovative and flexible capital solutions that meet their clients' evolving needs through their finance right approach. As you all were talking about that, one thing, Kevin, that I was trying to figure out as it relates to leadership is it sounds like there were a lot of things that had to be done by August 1. Not only are getting students and staff and punch lists for construction so do you have a bit of a, is it a distributive idea of leadership or are you the guy who has to do everything because you have an idea as to how it needs to come out? Yeah, I think we, to start, we had three employees, including myself in a year zero, so the pre-launch. Every one of us, I don't think we could have used probably three more people and still kept all of them busy with the amount of work that, that all three of us had. And I just going back through that year for me as a leader, it was, I, I just kept reminding myself to really lean into the process and what an amazing opportunity to be opening a school and going through the construction, but construction didn't start till February, but we still needed to recruit students. So we worked over 80 different community events by November, the fall of 22, we were, there was a time where we we're trying to figure out who's going to close on this bond deal. Permits didn't get done. That that took way longer than anticipated. We thought it'd be August. That didn't happen until October for the conditional use permit. And ultimately, the culmination was us getting our temporary occupancy at 7.30 p.m. on August 2nd, me working here until about 1 a.m. and turning around and having a ribbon cutting on August 3rd and welcoming students into the building that morning. And so... It was a wild ride for sure. <laughs> but I will just yeah, say, I, you, you did ask a question about distributed leadership. I'll just say one of my 
when I'm in schools, my, my goal is always to, to how do we put people to grow within the profession? And so some of my successes is seeing the special education IA move into being an ed specialist, the ed specialist moving into a director role, teachers moving into administrative roles. There is growth within an individual's career. I feel like I'm doing my job. That's great. And I just wanted to point out actually something Kevin said that might get lost on listeners, but we did something very unique and innovative in terms of the financing timeline and the plan of finance, because in order for Kevin, and I think it was instrumental in his ability to do the recruiting he was talking about, because it was fairly early on that he was doing that and they needed to start it a year out. And he was talking about like last fall and we didn't have the deal done yet to, to close on financing to do construction, but he needed to use the building. So all the way back in June, the year before, we had to find a way with the seller who was not really willing to be patient to get the building and buy it, take the property down, which you don't normally see prior to bond closing in the, if you're using bonds to do the financing, right? Like developers will do that. They'll come in with risk capital. They'll buy a building, they'll lease it to you. But we're trying to take control and get ownership. And so we brought in a bridge capital partner to do that and basically sold them on the idea that we were going to have an investor to do the construction, the permanent financing, if you will, and also be able to refi them out. So we had to get a bridge Time. partner that would... Rob, how many times did you close this deal? Wait, Twice. You, and the original early on, maybe investor, and then you had to bring in a bridge investor. And then... Yeah. yeah. We got lucky because the timing doesn't always work. And that kind of capital is not always available. It's not like we can say, definitely, we can do that every time. But we the stars aligned and we actually got a CDFI to come in, which was also somewhat unprecedented for a startup. The CDFI did a bridge loan. They did it for 12 months. And that was great because that gave us plenty of runway to get through the entitlement process that Kevin was talking about, which did take longer. And it seems always does, always can. Yeah, um, And that got us into the closing. You did it. So you and you lived and died this. So the CDFI piece, it, it really relates to this issue of there. It seems like there's more financing vehicles that with the right team, you can take a look at. It's not Everybody, every minute, the second they have an idea, it's a 30-year bond deal and we're going to close and there you go. Right. How is and, and with that's that, right. Yeah, with that, we had an initial term sheet. We thought everything was going to roll that direction. We weren't even going to need it. And then the market changed. The permits took longer. Construction costs increased. There was just so many moving pieces. And we had to pivot. Yeah. We had to be yep. nimble and flexible. And a number of on times. Side too. And being creative, Kevin was being creative in terms of delivering a school. And we were trying to be creative in terms of learning financing. And one thing I will point out to you, Alan, you mentioned a couple of times. So on the final deal, we actually went 40 years fixed, not 30, believe it or not. So it was a great final structure for the school in terms of lengthening. Another wrinkle that you all have put in, because again, traditionally it had always been 30 years. Yeah. I, yeah. So the fact that. Yeah. Now, pretty amazing. Yeah. What's, what's also amazing is that both Rob and I are still standing after all since the whole process. It was a lot of work. <laughs> I told a, Rob when the deal closed, I said, I'm going to miss talking to you every day, Rob. We've been going back and forth for almost two years. And my team has given me a hard time. I said, what are you going to do with yourself when the bond closes? That's always what you got. You got to run and jump fall. You got to do this and that. They're like, what are you going to do? You have all this time. Yeah. Then construction busy. started. Yeah, now <laughs> what I do is run the school and, and occasionally break up a fight. But so one thing, it wouldn't be a, a talk with me unless I could ask something like this, Kevin, which is what's an area through this process where you felt like individually you learned and grown? 
as a leader during your time? As a leader, I was going to say in terms of learning. Yeah, just learning. Yeah, just every step of the way. Going back to 2019 when we first started this, it was an idea. I've been to board meetings as a school leader, but in terms of forming a board, forming a nonprofit, creating a website, I'm not a web designer. Again, the logo set up to fundraising. I'm just, how do you go out and fundraise and, and how do you recruit students and how do you really build momentum and, and really, I think just move an idea and an aspiration to something tangible. It's an amazing experience. I remember early on when I spoke with somebody that found a number of schools and the comment that was made was enjoy the ride. And he's like, opening a school is an incredible thing. And I just, that kind of was always in the back of my head. And yeah, just, I don't know. I still am just so grateful for the opportunity and still in, in some disbelief of well, I'm sitting here in my office of this building that I've seen vacant for the last 12 years that I've lived in California. And it's filled with kids that are learning and staff that's excited. You know, and I don't know if it's a lesson learned or growth for you personally, but I would say one thing I noticed of Kevin and observation through this process would be his ability to exhibit patience and perseverance. This had a lot of twists and turns, and I don't know if that was a growth for him as a leader or not, if that was innate quality of his, but definitely he exhibited that and had to learn maybe potentially that patience was a key in the process and a lot of perseverance. Yeah. Balancing those and when to use which and all that, something I'm still working on is when you pick it up, Kevin, just send me a note. <laughs> and my team, my wife will be happy here. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that is not my strong suit either is the balance piece because man, it's been a lot of hard work. Rob heard my ribbon cutting speech and I just think of the sacrifices that my family made as well. I've got two little kids. I've got my stepson that just got dropped off to college. You're talking 2019 to 2023. That's a lot has happened in that time. And it's been tough years. Yeah. And to have that support at home and then. I, a lot of late nights because it would be my wife's schedule is opposite of me. So I'm putting the kids to bed. I'm doing dinners and you're working all the way as late as you can. You pick up the kids, really try to be present as much as possible and then get them to bed and 1030 to whenever you're back on the horn trying to get stuff done. And then wait, I wake up early. I'm up at 430 working out. I re repeat. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Unless you say that. Yeah. Really. When one of the things that one can lose track of in all of this. I know Rob never would, but you think about the, the 80 families, you know, they're yeah. going to be impact starting on, on day one and what a, what an incredible opportunity with an innovative program that is it in a way, Kevin, I know you, you opened two weeks ago, but you've been working on this your whole life. Yeah. From Springfield, all those lessons along the way, the student in that first class that you got engaged. All those things, they're now part of what you can bring to bear, maybe not as a teacher, but as a leader. And so yeah. uh, that's why it's going to be exciting. That's why the school's going to be successful. And I just want to thank you both as we draw to a close that, you know, what you said, not only about the journey, but, but also about how leadership emerged in different ways, just was really helpful for me and I hope it's helpful for our listeners. So thank you so much. Alan, I was just going to add too, and I've, I yes. totally echo all those comments. That's well said and well put. I think the other thing about great leadership, and I feel like this is true actually of me and my work and what we do in terms of partnering with people like Kevin and schools and leaders is that 
It's not me doing it all by myself either. I think most great leaders, you'll look and find they had great teams. And there's a great book, Good to Great, if you've read it and found leadership. And it's all about putting, yeah, you know, I like the idea of surrounding yourself with other geniuses. You don't need to be the person who has all the answers. In fact, usually I feel like that's where things fall apart because one, it doesn't create continuity and succession within the organization for changes. And then also you just can't do it all at the end of the day. We're all limited, finite human beings with limited emotions, limited physical capability and capacity that we were just talking about balance. You need a good team. And I know Kevin had that board as part of that team. Kevin had a good construction team. Kevin had us helping him. And I had a good team. I had a great team. Here at HA Sims, I think that one of the things I pride ourselves on is our team and our ability to really stretch out across the country and helping clients. And we can all kind of team tackle and divide and conquer things together. So I just think that's one of those other great qualities of a leader usually is that you'll look around and see that they have a great team. And let's be honest, just to bring it back to education, no one person's going to be able to solve all the ills of education. It takes a team. It's what we talk about with students and parents. And we wouldn't be here to be able to do the real work without everybody that, including Rob, that he just listed. Um, so grateful for H.J. Sims and the work that Rob's done and then just the team that they assembled. Just aside from being just professionals within what they do, just great people as well. Yeah. And I think that's something that seeing people, again, people are lawyers, they're investment bankers, they're leaders of schools, but fundamentally everybody is people with different qualities and all that and their job. They're also somebody and seeing that and greeting them with it. And then seeing where you can go together is, I think, Kevin, one of your gifts. But today has been a gift. So thank you both. I'm sure, Kevin, you'll be a lot of visitors as the school year go, rolls on to see how you did this. Thank you. One more time, a huge thank you from me and all of us at School Improvement Partnership to our sponsor, Herbert J. Sims.